It's really, really good to be joining with you this morning for Good Friday, the day we remember the cross, the day we remember Jesus Christ, ultimate sacrifice for us. And so it is a great privilege to be here sharing the Word of God with you this morning on this very, very special day for the church. So if you are uh, visiting with us this morning, a very warm welcome to you and we're glad that you uh, made your way, found your way to church this morning. And if you are new to One Heart Church or you haven't um, been here for a while, uh, our theme this year has been the supernatural and um, I'm going to carry that theme through today's service as well. Um, We remember Jesus and the cross and it's our message, it's our hope. It's our salvation. And no matter what else we do as a church, the message of Jesus Christ's sacrifice is our message. It's our hope. It's our salvation. So it is very, very common and easy as a Christian, as a believer, to get our focus you know, diverted away, sometimes good deeds, sometimes um, things that, that seem good and there's nothing wrong with, but we forget the primary purpose of the church is to be agents of salvation to the world. Never forget this. Um, I read this recently, and I hope it helps us today to clarify that point. If God had intended for us to remain only in in the natural realm, he never would have provided a way through Jesus for us to be restored. I'll just stop on that little sec for a minute that little word restored because in the English language the old English where that word first came from and if you're part of our church you would have heard me say this and I think it's something we we constantly need to get a revelation of restored means to return the monarch to the throne and when we're considering the the restoration of all things in our life spiritually it's bringing Jesus back to the place of authority on the throne in our lives and in our hearts so that's a really important key that word restored so um I'll start again from the start because I've just got distracted there. If God had intended for us to remain only in the natural realm, he never would have provided a way through Jesus for us to be restored and to give us access to his supernatural power through faith in Jesus. God can only be known through faith and revelation, not logic um, or human perception. It's supernatural. And I hope that this morning and through uh, this weekend where we you know, especially set aside time to uh, reflect on the cross that something supernatural will be revealed into your spirits. So this Easter, I believe that uh, we're going to encounter things as individuals in a very real way. So you're probably wondering, uh, our theme today or, and, and for Easter is the doorway. Um, and that's taken from Revelation 4, verse 1. It's only the very first part of that, that scripture. Uh, it should pop up on the screens. Now, there it is. Then as I looked, this is the, the, uh, John, the writer of Revelations. He says, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. Uh, it goes on to say, and, and at the same time, I heard a voice like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. A door 
standing open in heaven. It's symbolic that God has made a way for people to enter his supernatural realm. That's what that door represents, a door open in heaven. And, and uh, I hope through the message this morning, you'll understand that that door is open so that we can walk through it. That door is open so that we can, we can be the beneficiaries of what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. So um, death is the doorway to life. Death is the doorway to life. Jesus died to open the doorway to life. So I want to bring together this morning the supernatural journey that we go on into eternity. Um, a way made possible, the door standing open in heaven is Jesus. He is the door for our eternal salvation. So the doorway to a supernatural kingdom, the doorway to eternal life is represented by what John saw, this doorway open in heaven. I love the, I love the imagery of it, the, 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 the uh, picture that it gives us is that a door that is standing open in heaven means that it's a door that we can enter into. It's a door that we can pass through. Um, and, you know, often in life we, we focus on the doors that are closed. We focus on the doors sometimes behind us that have closed. We focus on the doors that we think we wish that door would open to us. But you know something? We need to get our focus and our attention off the, the physical doors that we might think have closed or the, the, the earthly doors that have closed and begin to step into a supernatural living where we start to recognize and see there are supernatural doors open to us in the heavenly places that Jesus wants us to walk through. So... John chapter 18, verse 36. This is Jesus answering his accusers in court. And it said, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. That's a foundation for the door standing open in heaven right there. Jesus is explaining his kingdom is a supernatural thing. It's a spiritual thing. Something from heaven that is higher than any worldly government or system. He's talking about his, his authority, his kingship, his rulership is somewhere in a different place. It's in a ho much higher level. And it actually transcends all earthly authority. Um, and I think this was um, uh, disappointing news to the Jews of the day. It was disappointing to his disciples who were seeking a king that would kick out the Romans and establish a new kingdom in Jerusalem. And, and in, that way, in that sense, they would have thought, well, we would be gaining back the kingdom of David. So the Bible in the Old Testament talks a lot about the kingdom of David being restored, and that's what the Jews were waiting for. They weren't waiting for a Jesus. They were waiting for a king who would restore the kingdom of David. They didn't understand the metaphorical sense of what was prophesied pointing to Jesus was an eternal kingdom that's not of this earth. And they, they, like us, were seeking a physical kingdom, a physical thing uh, that, that had their attention that God wanted to lift them to a whole new level. So I just mentioned Jesus at his trial. I think it's good to bring to our attention this morning that this wasn't the first time that they had tried to capture Jesus. In fact, it wasn't the first time that they had tried to kill Jesus. 
if we look at some of the scriptures, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, at the very start of Jesus' life, when he was just a baby, um, when he was born, King Herod had attempted to kill Jesus. It says he killed all the, Jew, all the babies in Bethlehem and in the surrounding districts because he was trying to get to Jesus because he was trying to stop the prophecy being fulfilled that there was a saviour born. In Luke chapter 4, verse 29, in Nazareth, it says Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown, obviously built on the edge of a cliff, and it says the people got offended and they, they mobbed him and tried to push him off the cliff. Nice homecoming. But it says that Jesus walked through the crowd. It's like somehow he, he, he was able to become invisible and walk through the crowd. Um, in John chapter 8, verse 15, um, sorry, John chapter 8, verse 59, in Jerusalem, again, um, Jesus was preaching and teaching and it says the people were offended and they picked up stones to throw at him um, and that was an old-fashioned way of murdering someone politely. It's like it's how to murder someone politely. So you, you throw rocks at him, have a whole lot of people throw rocks, so there's an element of an, an, um, anon, anonymity in the process so you say, well, who, who, threw the, who threw the first rock or who threw the last rock? Well, we, we all don't know. We all threw it in as a crowd, but the crowd picked up rocks to throw at Jesus to kill him. We need to understand their intention was to murder Jesus that day. John chapter 10, verse 39. Once again, they tried to arrest Jesus with the intention to murder him in private. Um, John chapter 7, verse 30. Um, and verse 32 and verse, and verse 46, um, it says, The priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus, but they came back saying, We have never heard anything like this. So great police they were. They were sent on a mission. You've got to arrest this man. They go to arrest Jesus and he's talking and he's preaching and they're, they're like in awe suddenly. Well, we can't arrest this man. He's not saying anything wrong. And they, they leave and go back to the, the, to the, the leaders and say, well, we, we, we've never heard anything like this before. In John chapter 11, verses 38 to 37, we get to the final straw for the Jewish leaders and the, and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. When Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, it's like, that's it. We've had enough of this guy. We've got to take him out. We've got to stop him. So... Um, the priests and the leaders from that point began to seriously plot Jesus' death. That even says they plotted to kill the man that Jesus raised from the dead as well. They're gonna, we're just going to kill everybody. That was their plan. But I'm just going to go through four points this morning, starting from Jesus' arrest. So on that night that Jesus was arrested, I think the disciples must have thought... Jesus will walk out like every other time. Because I just went through four or five times where the disciples were with Jesus and he was going to be arrested, going to be stoned, going to be pushed off a cliff and each time he just walked through the crowd. He just walked through and, and, and walked away. They didn't think that this would be their last night with Jesus. And every time when they came, when the, when the officials and the police and all these others came to arrest Jesus, he always walked out of it. And they would have thought this will be like every other time. Jesus is just going to walk away from these soldiers who have come to arrest him. And Jesus will get out of this because that's what he's always done. 
But when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, I love this, they, he spoke, it's, it's found in John chapter 18, they, they came to arrest Jesus and he said, who are you looking for? And they, and they said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, he said, I am he. And it says, they fell backwards. They drew back and fell over. Talk about the, uh, the, the going down under the power. These guys didn't even believe in Jesus. And, and he's been, uh, uh, that, that power is being um, unleashed upon them. It says, they all drew back and fell to the ground. So the point is, if Jesus had not surrendered himself, they could never have arrested him. There's a, there's a powerful key for us this Easter to understand. If Jesus had not surrendered himself, they could never have arrested him. Second, the second point, at his trial, the trial. Jesus said nothing to defend himself. Mark chapter 14, verse 55, Mark chapter 14, verse 61. Verse 55 says, they could find no evidence to condemn him. So we've got to realize that, that Jesus had no criminal history. There was nothing that they could pin on him legally, religiously, or any other way that they could say, this man should, have, uh, should be punished. Not, not one thing. They, they could find no evidence. In, in verse 61, it says, But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Because had Jesus said anything at all, he would have been set free. And we need to realize that Jesus surrendered himself willingly or they could never have condemned him. So Jesus was silent on purpose. The third thing, the crucifixion. Matthew chapter 28, verses 53 to 54 in the New Living Translation says, Don't you realize, this is Jesus speaking, don't you realize that I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, but if I did how would the scripture be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Jesus surrendered himself willingly so they could never so they could never have crucified him. If he didn't surrender himself willingly, they could never have crucified him. The fourth thing, the darkness. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. It says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Jesus surrender, surrendered himself willingly to the darkness. It's a part of the cross we don't sit on enough. It's a, a part of the cross we don't consider much uh, in any sense. But I want us to, to, to consider the darkness this morning. Jesus hung on the cross in agony, suffering for hours. We, we're not exactly given the, the exact time frame, but I've heard and read anything from, from some people say from 12 hours to 8 hours um, six hours, we're not exactly sure. But I know it was torture for every single second that he was there. Not only bearing a physical pain, but also a spiritual torment of darkness that fell upon the whole land for three hours. We know that he was there that time because it tells us three hours. Hours of physical punishment and torture, followed by three more hours with spiritual torment 
of every evil spirit. So I'm, I'm thinking it was almost like they had the demons annual convention in Jerusalem that day. The darkness, as all the powers of evil, demons, uh, evil spirits, descended on one place, en masse, all at the same time, all to witness the Christ, the anointed one, being crucified. There's like, there's a buzz going around the, 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 the powers of, of, of evil in the, heavenly, in the heavenly world saying there's something going on. We, we, I don't think any of them are really sure who Jesus really was. But they're thinking, well, he, he's being killed right now. We've got to come and see this. It's a spectacle that no demon wants to miss. So there was demons of sickness. There was demons of diseases. There was demons of mental illness. There was demons of worry. There was demons that bring strife. There was demons of violence. There was demons of, of every kind of disorder. There was, there was poverty and war and fear demons. There was demons that destroy families there. There was demons of insecurity. There was demons of jealousy. There was demons of addictions and even demons of, re, of religion were there. Every demon and their dog was there. They were all there. And that darkness was tangible as they each tormented and tortured, tortured Jesus as he was nailed helpless to the cross. As each swooped in like crows on a carcass, they, they gloated and mocked and, and tormented him. And they witnessed him die. At that point, Jesus entered the doorway of death. He went through the threshold of death and physically died and entered into the gates of hell. The significance of this, all those forces of darkness, all those evil spirits, they all saw Jesus crucified. They were the dark witnesses of the cross. So I know I've heard people try and explain this darkness and say, well, it probably was a, probably was a, was a uh, full eclipse or something or other like that. You know, I don't want to try and find physical explanations for something that was absolutely a spiritual thing. And the only thing that I know that darkness comes from is from evil. And where God is, there is light. And that darkness that day was a supernatural spiritual evil descending upon Jerusalem and descending upon the cross and trying to torment and, and torture Jesus in the deepest level of his soul and his spirit until he died. And so when we believers, when we Christians, when we who say we, we have Jesus as, as our Lord and Savior, when we claim our healing off the evil forces of darkness, they know. They know they can't hold that anymore. When we claim our peace, they know. When we claim miracles, they know. They know Jesus died and he took away their power. And when he walked through the doorway of death, they saw him dead. They verified his death. They made sure he was dead. But you know something? On the third day, they saw Jesus walk through 
the doorway of death, but he was now alive. And he broke their power. He broke their command. He broke their rule of law. He said there is no longer the condemnation for people. And it says that he went into Hades and he took the keys of hell and death. Something to get excited about, church. Because Jesus died and he took away their power when he walked through that doorway of death and made it a doorway of life that now stands open in heaven for every single person who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. They saw him dead and they saw him walk out of that doorway alive. They lost and Jesus won. They lost and we won. And we, we need to start to realize and recognize and pray and believe saying Jesus you won. So we're tormented by so many things. And in our modern world, we, we often don't want to recognize the supernatural. We often don't recognize the, the spiritual battles and the things that affect us. But one thing I can guarantee, I'm not going to say those things will suddenly stop. But one thing I know is when we, when we start to make a claim on the cross, when we start to say, Jesus, you defeated these things. Jesus, you have authority over these things and begin to speak that out, then there's nothing that can hold us. We're going to have communion this morning together. As we finish with this today, Jesus said this about death. In John 11, verse 26, just the very first part, he said, and whosoever in the King James Version, it says, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me, basically, whoever who lives in me and believes in me shall never die. Now we can interpret that and think, well, you know, I'm never going to die. I'm going to physically live forever. Jesus is again taking it back to that kingdom he talked about, a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual awakening. He wants us to step into understanding eternal principles so that we live on after our bodies decay and die and we go into an eternal place of rest with Jesus. Jesus entered the door of death and bound every evil that there is and walked out alive. Today we remember Jesus walked out through the doorway of death and conquered death and assured our salvation. Luke chapter 22, verse 29, my, my last scripture today. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So here this morning, we have physical elements of the cross. Jesus' broken body represented in, in this little piece of cracker biscuit in your hand. And we have a cup representing the shed blood of Jesus. As we eat and drink, sharing this together this morning, we are partakers with Jesus, walking out of the doorway of death and into the doorway of life. I'm going to ask that we eat and drink, giving thanks this morning for what Jesus accomplished for us upon the cross. Shall we eat?
ministry. When you're done, if you can just pass your cups to the end of the aisles. And as we do, we're just going to take a few minutes, two or three minutes now, to reflect upon Jesus, the cross, and breaking free from all of those bondages and things that want to wrap themselves around us. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming to church this morning.